This podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello and welcome to The Stand with Eamon Dunphy. Now, over recent weeks in this country and for two or three years across Europe now, there is a definite and discernible rise of a kind of populist right-wing politics that is ugly and dangerous, many of us believe. But we haven't done much about what's happening here in Ireland But there is something happening across Europe. In Italy, for example, an admirer of Mussolini is the new prime minister. In Hungary, we know about Viktor Orban, his closeness to Vladimir Putin still. And, of course, he has introduced censorship and almost abolished the rule of law in Hungary. Poland also has turned very right wing. And we've all seen, although Britain isn't part of the European Union anymore. We can see what's happening. As recently as 48 hours ago, they appointed the Tory party deputy chair, a guy from one of the red wall seats, Lee Anderson, who came out the following day and called for the restoration of the death penalty. Now, for as long as I can remember, Sweden has been known as a bastion of social democracy, reason, and all the things we value in a free world like not abusing the law or imposing censorship. However, things have changed dramatically in Sweden and we're very grateful now to Philip O'Connor for joining us. Philip is an Irishman who's been living and working in Sweden for more than two decades and it's a pleasure always to have him on the stand. Philip, thank you very much for joining us. Most of what I've just said there you would recognize one surprise to me is that Denmark got to the idea of deporting immigrants to Rwanda before Britain came up with that wonderful idea and before their home secretary said that it was her dream to see a plane leaving Heathrow Airport full of immigrants going to Rwanda. That's where we are, or at least that's where Britain is. Philip, what's gone on in Sweden? When did it happen? And am I wrong to characterize Sweden as a bastion of social democracy for a very long time? 
I think it's probably right to characterize Sweden and Scandinavia in general in that way. For, because in the entire post-war period, something happened here in the Nordic region that we've never seen before and that some people now think that we will never see again. So this great sense of solidarity arose out of the Second World War. Obviously, Denmark was invaded, Norway was invaded, uh, Finland was invaded by both Germany and Russia. And when it came time to rebuilding Russia, the worker was put front and center. The ordinary man and woman in the street was put front and center. And that really was the beginning of modern social democracy as we understand it, not just in Scandinavia, but also what the British Labour Party used to be and what yes. Labour parties throughout Europe used to be. Hand in hand with that aim, it went international solidarity. So Sweden, Denmark, Norway, Finland, they always would have been the kinds of places that people in trouble could look to if they were in Pinochet's Chile, if they were in Syria, in Erdogan's Turkey, in Afghanistan, the Hazara people there now would look to these places and say, I can be safe there. Uh, in Afverki's uh, Eritrea at the moment is another place that looks very much to Sweden for protection. But sometime in the last 20 years, again, it's an extremely complex thing, and I really don't want to generalize and give the, the impression that this has happened either slowly, quickly, or overnight, you know. But over the last 20 years, I've noticed this slide rightwards. And I think it, it has to do with many, many things, but I think it goes hand in hand with the advent of a new form of social democracy under Tony Blair, where we were essentially told we could have it all. We could have workers' rights, we could have social welfare, and we could have the free market. Yes. And that has turned out to be a shimmer. But what has happened is, what they call the Overton window, the window of what we're prepared to accept in society, has shifted rightwards. And the Scandinavians have followed that. The first out probably were the Danes. They've always been a very pragmatic people who have no problem saying what they thought. The same thing happened in Norway. And now Sweden is kind of the final domino that has fallen there. And the election last September, what we got was a centre-right government that went into power, but it's supported by the Sweden Democrats. And among their founders is a man who served in the SS in the Second World War. That's how close you can tie the current Swedish government to historical Nazism. Who is Rasmus Paludan? Rasmus Paladin is the kind of guy that would have got bullied in school in Drumcondra when you went there, right? Or in, in Marino when I went there. He's a like a, sort of a, a peripheral figure who made himself into a celebrity by going around burning the Koran. Now, he doesn't go to sort of, you know, downtown Stockholm. He doesn't go to the white, blonde-haired, blue-eyed areas of Stockholm. He comes to places like where I live in Schiste, out in the suburbs. He comes to Rinkeby. He goes to where Zlatan Ibrahimovic grew up down in Rosenborg in Malmö. And his idea is he's a provocateur, Eamon, right? So his idea is free speech. I should be allowed to burn this book. My free speech is protected and it is extremely well protected in Sweden. This is why he's still allowed to do that. In fact, the last time he burned the Quran that I witnessed outside the Turkish embassy just a couple of weeks ago, he was surrounded by police. There was almost more police there than there was uh, supporters, counter demonstrators or journalists there. And he became a very interesting tool in the last election process because he epitomizes everything that the right wants to see but cannot say itself. So centre-right parties like the moderates and the Christian Democrats here who have taken a very hard line on immigration but stopped short maybe of pointing out you know, Muslims in the way that maybe Anders Berling Breivik or Palinad would do, they can stand idly by and silently by and allow him do this and then allow him to whip up sort of, you know, uh, opposition uh, to him in immigrant communities. But the problem is now that since they applied to join NATO, now Paladin continues to burn the Quran, but now he is doing it outside the Turkish embassy because he's not in government. He doesn't care. He's a provocateur. He owes nothing to the Sweden Democrats, the moderates, the Christian Democrats, or the liberals in this country. So now he's gone from being a poster boy to a problem child. They get in on the party on the back of votes won by his actions, and now they're having to, to pay the piper, so to speak. Yes, and of course, one of the big consequences, one of the biggest consequences 
of Russia's invasion of Ukraine has been that Finland, which has a border with Russia and Sweden, both applied to join NATO. This was a major surprise. Both have been, in theory, accepted. So that is a consequence of Putin's war in Ukraine. The cause, how did Sweden go from being, as I say, a bastion of social democracy and even to the point where some of us thought they were too daft, too soft and too left to being now having a right-wing government that's propped up by a far-right party that gets up to stunts like this. Clearly, racism has crept in. Is it to do with immigration per se? I think it is, but I think even more so it's to do with the standard of living that people once enjoyed, but they no longer do because they've subjected themselves to these market forces. And I think the best way I could describe it is the quote from Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, where at one point the monster says, I have love in me the likes which you can scarcely imagine and rage the likes of which you would not believe. If I cannot satisfy one, I will indulge the other. Yeah. Now, for many years, the Swedes had the love of this great welfare state. They literally were guaranteed to be looked after from the cradle to the grave. In Finland, the moment you're born, a box is delivered to your mother's address and it contains the baby hats, diapers, all the things you need to get started in life. You go through life, you're looked after by collective bargaining agreements, you're protected in the workplace. If you're sick, if you cannot afford to work, you get generous benefits. Everything, as I say, is provided. If you need to go to the doctor, the dentist, everything is at a reasonable cost or no cost at all. All of that is either gone or in the process of going. What we have now instead is an education uh, system in Sweden, which is the most extreme in the world, right? It was too extreme even for Pinochet's Chile. Anybody can open a school and run it at a profit. If they're not making money, they close right. it down and the kids go back to being, being the re responsibility of the state again. So all of the things that we would have believed were so great about Sweden, Finland, Denmark, and Norway have gradually been eroded because as Moving Hearts, or Jackson Brown wrote in that Moving Hearts song before the deluge, they reached for the golden ring. They wanted it all. And like Icarus, they flew a little bit too close to the sun. God, we're gone very literary here today, Emil. Yeah. But in, in losing all of these things, Rather than saying that, okay, this is the fault of the centre-right, indeed, to ex an extent, it's the fault of the centre-left, who have also allowed this to happen, they are looking for somebody to blame. And the easiest person to blame is not the person who needs to be held accountable, that is to say, the politicians that sold them down the river. It's to look at the brown people, the people who have come here to seek shelter and to seek protection and to say... Why are they getting things for nothing? Why am I getting those things? And from those seeds, the great oak of racism and fascism yes. could grow because it's a very, very easy sell from that point onwards. Now, the significance of Paladin's burning of the Quran outside the Turkish embassy is that Turkey is an established member and a very important member of NATO. So what does that behavior and the kind of place Sweden has clearly become, what does that do to their aspiration to be part of NATO? It puts NATO and Turkey in particular in a very difficult position. 
It does. And at the moment, Erdogan is sitting there with his arms crossed saying, OK, if you're going to let this guy burn our holy book outside our embassy, we're not going to allow you into NATO. And every NATO country has a veto yes. on new members coming in. And that's the thing. And Erdogan is not dumb, Eamon. He realizes that he has enormous political leverage because of stunts like this. But there's another side of this that doesn't get spoken about whatsoever. In the beginning of our conversation, we mentioned how the Scandinavian countries offered protection to political dissidents, to people who are being persecuted elsewhere. There's over 100,000 people of Kurdish extraction in Sweden. The Kurds, of course, the people have been sacrificed at the altar of every Western power at one yes. point or another, uh, from the British throughout history, you know. Uh, and of course, they are no friends of Erdogan. They're looking for their own country. They're looking for their own nation there. Neither Syria, nor Iran, nor Iraq, nor Erdogan wants to give it to them. Uh, Erdogan has said that the people who oppose him and the PKK, he doesn't call them political opponents or dissidents. He calls them terrorists. He has demanded the extradition of these people. And every Quran that Paladin burns adds another few names to the list of people that Erdogan can demand. So we're in a situation of realpolitik now where Sweden has to some way assuage what Erdogan is doing. They can only really do that by throwing the Kurds under the bus. The only other alternative is that other NATO powers will come in and they would say to Turkey, okay, what do you want? Do you want F-16 fighters? Do you want jazz fighter planes for Sweden? Do you want guns? What do you want? You know, lawyers, guns and money, uh, if you want to do these things. And that makes uh, Erdogan extremely powerful in this current situation. If you ask me, eventually, what I'm being told by politicians and diplomats here is that they know that eventually Erdogan will accept them, but he has just put so high a price on it at the moment. And as I say, every page of the Quran, the Paladin burns, the price just keeps going up. Let me ask you about the Swedes' attitude to Putin's invasion, for example. Ostensibly, given their desire to join NATO, they disapprove and don't like it. Is that true of the right in Sweden or less true of them than it might be of social democrats? Yeah, I think um, kind of like when we used to speak during the, the coronavirus pandemic and certainly at the beginning of it there, Eamon, we talked about Sweden being a consensus society and the ease of which, you know, you could introduce something that wasn't a lockdown because people would just do what you asked them to do for the most part. And again, that's something that's happened with NATO. People who would have been very much opposed to that beforehand woke up on the 26th of February last year, the day after Putin invaded Ukraine, and all of a sudden, uh, opposition to joining NATO had just vanished into the into thin air. You know, there was very, yes. very little political discussion about it. There was very, very little opposition to it. In fact, you'd almost be seen as traitorous if you even raised the question. Like, if you fast forward then another six months to the election that was held in September of last year, it wasn't even an issue. You know, it was just, okay, we're doing this. We've applied to do this, and that's it. And in fact, it was the former Social Democrat uh, Prime Minister Magdalena Andersson who started the process of joining NATO, and that process has now been taken over by Ulf Christensen, the new Prime Minister for the centre-right centre moderate party. So that's how that process has gone. And I think that it is like, almost indicative of the Swedish way of doing things, that the consensus in very, very serious issues kicks in very, very quickly. And for a long time, that consensus also uh, extended to anti-fascism and anti-racism, but it has gradually been a road over the intervening years. And I do think that people are very aware of, say, the plight of the Kurdish people here and how they will be sacrificed. But, you know, the greater good, as they see it, of NATO, because there is still that fear that, you know, when Putin managed to extract himself from the mess he's created in Ukraine, that maybe he's not finished. Maybe we could wake up one morning with Russian troops in Finland or on yes. the island of Gotland. And that's a whole other ballgame. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Now, the rest of Scandinavia, Philip, Denmark, Norway. Norway, of course, oil-rich. Denmark talking about, in fact, doing it, as I understand it, sending immigrants they don't want to Rwanda, which is such a sick idea, it defies me to understand it. Is this what's what's happened in Sweden? Is it spreading into Denmark, particularly Norway and Finland? I think undeniably, Eamon, that that's what's happening. And if you go back to uh, 2011, when Anders Bering Breivik murdered 77 people on the 22nd of July yes. in a bomb and gun attack in Oslo at Udaya, I remember sitting that night and having to read over a thousand pages of his manifesto for the news agency I was working for. They just said, OK, read that and tell us what's in it. A lot of it was copy-pasted, anti-Muslim rhetoric that he just found on the internet. Some of it was stuff that he'd written himself, where he gave away his tactics. And I remember after that, uh, that incident, the Prime Minister, Jens Stoltenberg, who's a social democrat, came out and said, what we need is more openness, more unity, more love. And the next time he went to the polls, he was voted out. And a party that Breivik had been a member of became a member of the coalition that replaced him. 
And that point said to me that Sweden and Norway and Finland and Denmark are on a slide here and it's going to take an awful lot to pull the handbrake. If the deaths of 69 young people and social democrats on an island being shot dead at close range is not enough to pull the handbrake, then I don't know what is. And since then, Eamon, there was a time in 2002, 2003, 2004, you couldn't even mention the likes of using Lindholm in Denmark to warehouse refugees. You couldn't mention extradition flights to either Kabul or Rwanda or wherever else. You'd be laughed out of it. You'd be marginalized. Your political career would be over. And again, fast forward 20 years, and this happens every single day. And politicians are queuing up at you know the doll we call it the plinth uh, to, to say these things, and are winning votes and are winning voters. So this has become something that is it was absolutely unimaginable 20 years ago. And it's going to take an awful lot to stop it because, unfortunately, as we've seen across Europe, that this does you know when people are deprived of resources and when they're not enjoying the standard of living that they they once enjoyed or that they thought they once enjoyed, well then they will hit back and weaker members in society. The question of immigration apart, is it to do with economics? In other words, Sweden, one always thinks of as a wealthy country. Norway certainly is a wealthy country. Denmark, I don't know. But often the rise of the right does coincide with scarce resources, with unemployment perhaps, and with immigration, making it difficult to get housing and to support your healthcare system. I think by no means are people in Scandinavia poor, Eamon. I would say they're poorer than what they were, but they're by no means poor if you if you compare it to maybe some parts of Europe in Greece, Portugal, Ireland, uh, southern Italy, that kind of thing. Those two things cannot be compared. But they certainly have less and can expect less than what they did previously, right? So again, you know, healthcare in Sweden is, is we used to be like the NHS in England, cradle to grave, you turn up at your hospital. I think I remember telling you about a time I broke my arm playing football one time yes. and I walked across the road to the hospital and I was back home in time for match of the day after spending 15 quid getting it x-rayed yes. and put in plaster and it literally took two hours to do. That system is now gone. Now you see the sort of, you know, the increased waiting times in A&E rooms because local healthcare has been basically d- disassembled and removed from local communities. Right. So that's what's happening here and it's very, very easy when you think that, uh, you know, if you look at old folks' homes, we've had a, a recent scandal in Ireland of similar things where these things are privatised and all of a sudden citizens who were previously looked after and cherished by the state become objects to make profit out of. And that's where the, the, the dichotomy fins now. That's where the disassociation starts to begin. And it is very, very easy. You always blame the people who can't speak up for themselves, right? So I would never say, I would often say when you're covering issues like fascism, racism, racism, we should always try to center the victims of these things, the people who are exposed to these things and not the people doing it, the perpetrators. But they're the last people that you will see on your television or that are given an opinion column in the equivalent of the Irish Times or the Irish Independent or the Times of London. Because, and they don't get to speak back. They never get to make their case. So it's very, very easy to put a stamp on them as being, you know, as a drain on society. But we know from our own history, Eamon, that Irish people, of the 70 million people who can claim Irish heritage around the world, A, they were pretty much all economic migrants of one sort or another. But we built America. We built London. We built San Francisco and all these places. We worked hard for what we did there. And then we enjoyed the pensions and the benefits that went with that. And that's often the case for people coming to Europe too. Now, a couple of final questions, Philip. Sweden is a member of the European Union. Yes. How have they been, or how has what's happened in Sweden resonated with the EU, if at all? 
I think it's interesting, Emma, because it's a very multifaceted point that you raise there, because Sweden has been this, it's almost like a whiteboard onto which you can project absolutely anything about EU, the EU, and it's like its positive aspects and its negative aspects. And certainly when it comes to immigration, there's an awful lot of people want to project a serious negativity uh, about Sweden around there. My own experience of a day to day is that, you know, if you get out there and you meet people, you'll find that everybody is pretty much the same. We all want to do a job of work. We want our children to be safe, to be educated, and to have slightly more than what we ourselves had in our lifetime. And that is the way with immigrant population here where I live. It's the way downtown where I'll be in half an hour or an hour for another meeting when I'm done talking to you. you know. So if in the EU, they've looked at these things and it's often held up as, oh, look how many people they took in. 163,000 in 2015, I think it was, uh, which was very, very generously done. And the Swedes slammed the door shut pretty quickly after that. And rather than being as generous as the Swedes, well, they took after the rest of the EU when they said, okay, we have to put a limit on the amount of people that we can accept here. And then, of course, you get to the situation with Ukraine, where we have white Christian people who look like ourselves and exceptions start to get made, you know. So Sweden is kind of like the joker in the pack. You could use to say absolutely anything about what the EU has done positively and negatively. But I'm not really sure that there are huge problems here with integration in terms of bringing people into the workforce and allowing them to reach their full potential, right? So not just working as taxi drivers and bus drivers and kitchen porters, but taking the photographers and the dentists yes. and the pharmacists who've worked abroad and who come here and sort of fast-tracking them into you use the education and the skills that they could bring to this society. And the, the last question, where are the Social Democrats that Sweden was renowned for? Um, I think they're with Olaf Palme in the grave. Yeah, well, I, I just to say that we've seen the British Labour Party at times over the last 13 years of Tory rule, for example, under the leadership of Jeremy Corbyn, almost disappear. In that context, is there fight in the social democratic idea and are they fighting? Um, they are certainly trying to, but again, we're sort of stuck in this Blairite idea. Blair and Alistair yeah. Campbell created this idea and Bill Clinton and George Stephanopoulos right. at, uh, at the same thing. Triangulation, it was called. Exactly, yeah. And this idea, six in ten. If six in ten people agree with you, well, then you'll win the election, you know? Right. But but these are things without principles. And social democracy is not, it's not people, it's not policies. It's a set of principles where everybody is equal. <clears throat> everybody is equally cherished by the state, much as James Connolly wrote, you know, that, uh, and in, indeed in our own Declaration of Independence or Proclamation of 1916, that we would cherish all the children of the nation equally. And that has been parked for political gain, for short-term political gain, to the extent where uh, Helle Thorning-Schmidt the former Danish Prime Minister, I remember her saying that when she saw somebody on the street in Denmark, she wanted to see a Dane looking back at them. What she was talking about was not the integration of migrants, she was talking about the assimilation of them, which would mean that me as an Irish man in Sweden would have to become Swedish and abandon my Irishness, is essentially what she is asking for. And I think that the only hope for social democracy, Eamon, because it's like, you know, it's like that old saying about wrestling with a pig, the pig enjoys it and you both get dirty, you know? Um, I think social democracy, they have to, the social democrats in Scandinavia actually need to return to their roots because they if they're going to try to sort of absorb you know absorb what they see as the best bits of racism and fascism and try to make that part of their policies you're going to lose because the paladins of this world are so much better at that than what you are and you just cannot compete on that level but if you go back to the compassion and the sense of equality and equity uh, that social democracy is supposed to be based on then there may be a future for it but nowhere in Scandinavia would I be hopeful of seeing that happen in the in the near to medium term Okay, Philip, we're really grateful to you, as always, for joining us from Stockholm. That's Philip O'Connor, and uh, we're grateful to Philip, to all of you for listening. That's all we have time for now. We'll talk to you soon. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.